There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. Here's another episode, published only a few days after the last one. As you can see from the title, it is another episode talking about the big news of the moment in the UK, the death of the Queen. But also this episode is about the new King, Charles III. Thank you for the messages which you wrote in the comments section in response to the last episode in which I gave my instant reaction to the news. It's very interesting to read your thoughts and to see how people have reacted to the news in other parts of the world. There's been a fairly diverse response, but overall, most people have expressed their sorrow or their sympathy with lots of people writing things like, sorry for your loss. And that's loss, L-O-S-S. Sorry for your loss, not sorry for your lost. A lot of people um, made that little mistake writing sorry for your lost, L-O-S-T. In fact, it should be sorry for your loss. That's L-O-S-S. Lost is an adjective and the noun is loss. So it should be sorry for your loss. So most people were writing comments with that general sentiment. Um, as I suggested in the last episode, this one is a conversation with my dad in the form of a Rick Thompson report. But my mum is joining us this time as well. So you've got two of them this time. Two Thompsons for the price of none, because, you know, this is free. So two for the price of none. Three, in fact, if you include me, three Thompsons together. So if you were wondering what's been going on in the UK and how it is from the point of view of British people, then here we are. So my parents are not flag-waving royalists exactly. Long-term listeners will probably be aware of their general views on the monarchy. My mum is probably a bit more sceptical about it than my dad, but I think they both think and care deeply about it all and have a critical yet balanced view of the system and the royals as people overall. And as you'll hear, generally speaking, they are in favour of the monarchy, I think. Certainly my dad is. My mum might be a bit more on the fence about it. But you can decide for yourself what she thinks as you listen to her words. Not that it's necessarily the time to question the existence of the monarchy, but that always comes up when you discuss the royal family in any depth, I think. It's not all about that, though. It's also about my parents' observations of what's been going on. Here's an overview of the things that we talk about in this episode. So we talk about what's been happening since the Queen's death, uh, the descriptions of the media coverage. And at this point, actually, I want to highlight a couple of bits of vocabulary, two words, really. 
relating to the media. One word is coverage and another word is footage. Okay, so we start with coverage. Coverage refers to the broadcasts in the media covering an event or series of events. Okay, so coverage means how a story is covered by the media, including all the TV reports, the news programmes, Right, generally that's called coverage, how they cover it, how they show it, broadcast it, talk about it, and so on. That's coverage. Now we've got footage as well. Footage is generally video of something. It might we might also use the word footage to describe audio content too, but I think for the most part, when we talk about footage, we are talking about video, video footage. For example, footage of William, Kate, Harry and Meghan meeting the crowds of people outside Windsor Castle. If someone takes a video of that on their phone or something, then they have some footage in their phone. If it's filmed with a camera, then the footage is probably on an SD card and then can be put into a news report uploaded or broadcasted on TV as part of the coverage. So footage actually refers, traditionally refers to rolls or lengths of videotape, videotape or film, like the kind of film that they used, used to use to film movies, which you could unroll and it's long, you know, you roll it out and you've got a long piece of videotape. Video in those days was measured in feet. Okay, that's why we've got foot, footage is a length of video measured in feet. And by the way, one foot is 12 inches or basically 30 centimetres, right? So footage, how much footage basically means how much video measured in feet. Nowadays, it's all digital, of course, and not measured by length, but it's still called footage. So coverage, that's the way in which events are covered with all the news programmes and news reports of the event. And this is media coverage, and it includes the broadcasting of footage, video footage with commentary and so on. Okay, so um, we talk about the media coverage and we talk about why people say the Queen was extraordinary and that her 70 year reign was so significant. Why do people say that? Uh, why was her reign extraordinary or significant or symbolic? We talk about details of the ascension of Charles to the throne to become King Charles III and how this was officially pronounced as part of a ceremonial proclamation, a sort of traditional ceremony which took place in London over the weekend in which Charles signed legal papers and the news was announced to to and the news was officially announced to important people in the government that Charles was now the king it's all part of a traditional very old fashioned and traditional sort of sequence of events so the proclamation it was all filmed and broadcast on television for the first time in history and my parents watched it Charles had to sign official documents stating that he was willing and able to take on the role and he did it in front of many other important people and of course in the presence of cameras and it was all part of the legal and constitutional process and mum gives her observations of how Charles handled the pressure of this momentous occasion. Mum is quite observant of things like people's behaviour so she gives her observations of Charles 
especially certain moments when he had to sign some papers and he didn't quite have enough room or space on the table to do it, which must have been very stressful for him. Uh, My parents talk about how they feel about Charles and if he will be a good king, plus the challenge he has ahead of him, following in the footsteps of his mother, who was such a successful monarch. And this leads to a sort of debate between the three of us, or at least an exchange, about the nature of that challenge and what it really means to be a successful king or queen in the UK, and the personal sacrifices which must be made in order to fulfil the duty of the role, and how this fits into the democratic process. We also talk a bit about Charles's health and some of the images going around the internet of his swollen fingers and what might be causing that. It's just speculation, really, and we're not doctors, of course. We do turn our attention away from the monarchy nearer the end of the conversation and towards the government and the new prime minister, Liz Truss, who replaced Boris Johnson very recently, and what they're all actually doing the cost of living crisis in the UK and what the future might be for Liz Truss and for the government over the next 18 months. As ever, I hope you find this useful as a way of finding out what's going on in the UK at this moment in time and also as a way of practising your listening in English and as a way to notice and pick up bits of English as it is spoken. One thing before we start, I had the wrong microphone selected in my recording software during this conversation, which is a bit annoying. Instead of this microphone that you can hear now, I was being recorded uh, using the inbuilt microphone on my laptop, which I didn't realise. So the sound quality isn't up to the same standard as usual, certainly for me. My parents were sharing the same microphone. These things make a bit of a difference just means that the voices are not quite as clearly captured as usual. But I've said it before and I will say it again, when the audio quality isn't perfect, that's still quite good because it's important to train your ears to be able to understand English even when it's not recorded in perfect audio conditions. I think it's okay. My voice is a bit muffled, basically. I think it should be fine. Right. Without further ado, then, let's get started. So, hello, both mum and dad this time. Hello, Luke. Hello, Luke. So I'm, I'm going to call this one the Rick and Jill Thompson Report. <laughs> right. Okay. That's the idea. So there you are in England. I guess we can start by just asking you to describe what's been going on over the last few days. We're recording this on Sunday, the 11th of September. So yeah. what's what's been going on in England over the last few days? Well, it's been um, extraordinary. Uh, Amazing events have been going on. First of all, uh, last Tuesday, uh, our new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, chosen by the members of the Conservative Party, not in any kind of election, went up to Balmoral Castle in in Scotland to meet the Queen and to be invited to uh, form a government. The Queen hadn't been seen in public for some time and it was known that she was very frail and not very well. But there she was. There are pictures issued of her meeting Liz Truss. But um, within two days, 
the news came out that the Queen was seriously ill and then clearly uh, that she had died and the official announcement happened in due course. Since then, of course, there's been an amazing amount of TV coverage of what's been going on with great pageantry and great dignity and uh, it has included the ceremonies that have never been seen in public before when um, the Prince of Wales, Charles, was duly sworn in as the new king. <laughs> proclaimed. As the, proclaimed. He didn't have to be sworn in. Um, he was automatically king once the Queen was dead. Yeah, that's the way it works, isn't it, in the UK? The Queen is dead. Long live the king. Right. And then there was this ceremony uh, in London uh, where uh, he signs um, some kind of pledge, Charles R, Charles Rex, King Charles. And... Um, the Privy Council are the main people who are there. These are senior ministers from the government. So there's been all that going on. And then, of course, uh, we've had the younger royals meeting up together at Windsor. There were huge crowds at Windsor where they came out of the gates and walked amongst the crowd. This is William, who is now the Prince of Wales, and uh, his wife, Catherine, or Kate, and uh, his younger brother, Harry, and Meghan, the controversial couple who have left the royal family's official duties and gone to live in California. So, of course, lots of photos of that all over the newspapers. And what is happening next is that there will be lying in state in Scotland for a couple of days, and then the coffin will come to London. There will be four days lying in state in London. Sorry, lying in state, what's that? It's a, you know, the coffin draped in the royal standard is available for people to come and file past and show their respects, and thousands of people will do. Um, and then there will be a, a state funeral on Monday week. That's in six, uh, eight days from when we're talking. The coffin, it's, it's a closed casket, isn't it? In some places it would be open, but it's closed mm. um, yeah. here. Um, and then, sorry, and then... And the state funeral is going to be a week on a week tomorrow. That's Monday, the nineteenth of September. So it's an it's officially a period of of mourning. Yes. Uh, Charles said that that period of mourning officially would end the day after the funeral. Correct. That, Did he? I, that is correct. Mm. Yes. Mm. And what official mourning means is not a huge amount, really. Uh, you know, the not these the, days. The, not these days. The the guidance from. Um, the government is that it's at people's discretion about whether, you know, events continue as normal. But after the first day when the Football League programme didn't go ahead uh, on Saturday and the, there was an international cricket match that didn't happen that day, but that's it really. Everything is pretty much back to normal uh, in terms of events. Uh, one of the things that we read about in those articles that went around recently you know in the event of the queen's death operation london bridge goes into effect and then things like the bbc will change its programming for two weeks and there won't be any comedy on television has the has the bbc and well not just the bbc but has television and media changed its output it's a very interesting question because um when i worked at, at the bbc and bbc news there were plans for programmes to be suspended for a long time. And there was even a plan that programmes would go off the air and there would just be a caption and sombre music. 
I and, and a few other editors argued against that and said that's not what the nation would expect. They would want to have respectful news coverage about what was going on. And clearly things have changed, and that's exactly what happened. The BBC went into special news programming as soon as the word came out that the, there was great concern about the Queen's health and that the family were rushing to Balmoral in Scotland. And they have been continuing that almost without break up until now, which is the Sunday following the, the Thursday. But there's been plenty to show, lots of pageantry, lots of um, interesting developments in terms of the House of Commons, the House of Lords, and various other ceremonies connected with the death of the monarch. And um, I, I think that the programming is likely to get back to, to normal before the end of the this period, but there will be a lot of programmes that won't be there. I don't think they will show comedy programmes until the period of mourning is, is over. And there is still a great deal of coverage, which um, I think people are very glad to see. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be controversial. When the Duke of Edinburgh died, the, the, the BBC suspended its normal programming for quite a long time and took a huge amount of criticism from the audience. They said it was basically over the top and unnecessary. Uh, and um, it, it was the one thing that had more complaints to the BBC than anything else for years. Uh, so obviously they know that uh, it, 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 you can't just simply stop everything um, because, let's face it, not everybody is a royalist and um, there, there is uh, a body of opinion that thinks that, the, you know, that all this... Uh, respect and fascination with the royal family is rather strange because it's obviously a hereditary process that is non-democratic. Having said that, I think the vast majority of people are actually extremely upset that the Queen has finally died because she was so exceptional. What do you think of the coverage, Mum? Have you been watching it? Um, well, not as much as we would normally have been, I don't think, because we were actually away on holiday in Wales when she died and we left on she died on the Thursday and we left Wales on the Friday so we were traveling on the Friday so we didn't see quite a lot of the coverage really and we we didn't see all the build-up you know when um, we were told that um, she was seriously ill and under medical supervision and that all the family were going. in fact we found out about it because a friend of ours texted us when we were driving down the Lamberis Pass, which is a very beautiful part of North Wales, just by Snowdon, the mountain Snowdon. Our friend tweeted, so what about Brenda? Brenda? Because Brenda is the name that um, Private Eye magazine used to give to the Queen. I don't know if they do these days. They still do, yes. This yeah. is a satirical magazine. For some reason, they decided to call her Brenda and call and call Charles Brian, and I don't, I don't, don't really know why. So wait, Brenda, Brenda is the nickname given to the Queen by this satirical magazine, this long-running yeah. satirical magazine called Private Eye, which mm. is a sort of a mix of critical investigative journalism and comedy satire. Yes. Um, interesting. Very interesting sort of part of British life, actually, Private Eye. So but, that's um, how we've... Sorry. They, but they, they've they always called her Brenda. Yes. And so you 
refer to her as Brenda as well with, with some of your friends. Well, our friend said, what about Brenda? Um, and I immediately thought, oh, gosh, what's happened to the Queen? And so I got online on my phone and could see the, you know, that there was a lot of kerfuffle with the royal family all convening on Balmoral. And it uh, soon became clear, Rick and I talking about it, became clear that she was either very close to death or had died already. And then I think um, we saw Hugh, Hugh Edwards on the BBC News with a black tie, which I think you noticed. I saw some tweet or something that you'd put up yeah. saying, well, it's significant that she's wearing a black tie. That indicates that either she's died or she's going to die while he's still on air. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we found out about it through little bits and pieces like that. And we, we weren't in front of, there wasn't a television in the cottage that we were staying in. So we couldn't see it on the Thursday and the Friday, but we started watching when we got home on the Friday, sort of late afternoon and into the evening. The coverage has been fantastic, really. I mean, not only the commentators managing to talk for a long time, but talk in an interesting and articulate way. And the coverage, wherever events were happening, all over the country, uh, getting coverage from Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, uh, and various uh, other uh, events and occasions, St James's Palace, Buckingham Palace, Windsor, uh, all these live things c- were, were organised incredibly quickly. And um, I think the coverage has been very well judged with a lot of uh, respect, but a lot of information. I was going to ask you if it's too much, but I think you've kind of answered that question. You said that with Prince Philip, people complained that there was too much. Um, there was, So yeah. that... That idea is is out there a bit. And I've seen people on Twitter saying that this is all too much. Mm. Uh, but, um, yeah. The, 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 I don't think it's the, the same at all. I mean, Prince Philip had been ill for quite a long time and he mm-hmm. was an old man and uh, it was hardly a surprise when he finally died. The Queen is just unique. I mean, she, not only the longest-serving monarch anywhere, you know, over 70 years on the throne but also because she did it very well and, and was uh, respected and in some areas held with great affection because she was just um, <coughs> brilliant at it. She, she was very dutiful, very hardworking, but also had immense charm. And everybody who encountered the Queen all say the same thing, that she was interested in them, she was twinkling, she was, you know, charming, and she had this attractive smile. And, of course, she was enormously popular. Mm-hmm. Should we talk briefly about um, her reign, 70 years? I tried to talk about this in my in the episode I published on Thursday hmm. uh, evening, immediately after getting the news. You see, whenever I talk about the royal family, I always feel I have to include the sort of other side and the opinions Mm. of people who don't agree with the monarchy. And when we say something like, well, it's extraordinary, she's been on, she was on the throne longer than anyone else. People who don't agree with the system would say, well, why is that such a good thing that Mm. she was there for such a long time? You know, why, why is that a reason to celebrate? Putting all those sorts of things aside, why is it then that the Queen's 70 years is so significant and what's symbolic about it? Um, well, I understand entirely all those uh, Republican type uh, thoughts because I have them as well. I'm not entirely a royalist, and yet 
the queen <laughs> the queen was kind of different because i mean Oh, it's very hard to explain because she was there for so long and she was a steadying influence because we've been through all sorts of weird times and we're going through a very weird time at the moment. And just her being there uh, made it was sort of steadying and, and comforting somehow. Very weird because I, I can't believe I'm saying it really because I can't really understand why it was so significant that she was there. But she was always there. She was always the same. And, I mean, her duty was amazing. I mean, just one little instance of, of example of her duty, her sense of duty. Two days before she died, when she was very frail, and the picture of her at that time is just awful. You know, well, it's not awful, but she's obviously very, very frail and very ill. The picture from of when she... With Liz Truss, when she's, um, you know, meeting Liz Truss and inviting her to... Um, Former government. former government there she is two days from death and she's standing up she's fully dressed she's got her makeup on she's had her hair done she's smiling doing her job i mean how many people could say that they would at the age of 96 still be doing that kind of thing i mean most people at that stage would be in bed, not wanting to do anything. Because she did work. She did have to work. You know, one yeah. of the one of the things that people will say is that the royal family basically live in luxury and mm. they're rich and they get taxpayers' money, but they do work. It's a life of service, isn't it? Well, it certainly um, was for her. Yes. What kind of service are we talking about? What sort of work is it? Well, she she would support all the various organizations in the country by if you like patronizing them um and <laughs> would, meaning being well, their patron being their patron being their patron yeah. right uh, okay and um uh, the charities which were very strongly supported by members of the royal family but remember she was also the queen uh, of the commonwealth uh, not just of the of great britain and northern ireland so traveled the world and the, you might say, well, what's the point? Well, the the fact is that she was a, a unifying influence. You might call it some kind of super diplomacy, but it was sharing values with people around the world. And it, it was clear that she was enormously popular in many countries around the world, not just the Commonwealth countries. Uh, so the, it's, it's always a very good question, this thing about, you know, should there be a royal family? I think we touched on it in a podcast before. All I can say is it's not logical at all. I mean, you know, the royal family it just isn't logical. Mm. But the fact is that it works, and uh, the alternative would be President Johnson or President Truss. You know, we we look at other countries and see the division of power between an executive president and the uh, prime minister, uh, and it's not by no means perfect. Mm. And in fact, in many countries, the presidents are a nightmare. So we've got a system that works where the head of state is, a, is more of a ceremonial figure, but is interwoven into the traditional structures of government and the church and uh, other institutions. Uh, so I mean, if I had to vote on whether you get rid of the monarchy or not, I'd say no, keep it. It's better than uh, an, an alternative. Yeah, mm. and hundreds of years ago, we did actually kind of go through this, didn't we? When uh, yeah. we did, uh, we did get 
rid of our king and we, his head was chopped off. And, uh, and what was that king's name? Charles. Charles I <laughs> had his head cut off. I think we should talk about Charles actually now because, as yeah. you said, um, yeah. um, the Queen is dead, long live the King. And so now Prince Charles is there as the King now and that's it. He was proclaimed King. We ought to just tell you that we've, we've come back just in the last hour from the Market Square here in Warwick where a big crowd gathered to see the proclamation being read out by the High Sheriff of Warwickshire, the county, with all the councillors, dignitaries and uh, uh, officials gathered round. And, uh, yes, we were all invited to shout, Long live the King! Um, oh, really? Indeed, we, we did. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, it, it is it, now King Charles III. It's bizarre, that whole proclamation thing. I watched the, the, you know, the actual one in London with poor old Charles, having to sign these documents um, saying, you know, agreeing that he had been pro proclaimed king and that he was prepared to do it. And it was a fascinating um, experience because halfway, th some of the way through, I was thinking, this is just crazy. It's like something out of Gilbert and Sullivan. It's not <laughs> serious, you know, all these people all dressed up in funny in clothes. Costumes. But yeah. this, is the, this is the first time it's happened in 70 years. All, this, all these sorts of, how do you describe them, these kinds of protocol and constitutional... Yeah. But the thing about the proclamation, as you say, we've never been aware of it before because we've never seen one and it's always happened behind closed doors and presumably it was on the news, you know, that the king had been proclaimed king or whatever. But we we didn't know it was going to happen until, you know, the day before. So, oh, right. So I'm um, tuned in to watch it. And as I say, it was full of arcane language and people wearing funny clothes. But before that, they in the studio, they had David Olusogu. I don't suppose you know him. He's a social historian. I, I think he's great. He does a series on um, BBC about um, showing history through houses. So he'll pick a house and he'll talk about the history of the house, and in doing so, he'll tell you about the history of the time, that he, you know, depending on who was in the house at the time. Um, and he's a brilliant historian, my kind of historian. And he was there saying, well, of course, we have to have this, or we did have to have this ceremony in years gone by, because, of course, there was no television, there were no phones, there were very few newspapers, and people, the whole people in the whole country needed to be told that this has happened because they wouldn't necessarily know that the Queen had died and that they'd got a new king. So the, pro they, the king had to be proclaimed in London and then throughout the country. And so we this morning have been to, if you like, a sort of recreation of the old proclamations that used to happen, you know, years gone by. It's a bit like kind of stepping back into the past. Yes, it was. In a weird much. way. And the words are the same as we mm. used in Henry VIII's time, and the and the proclamation happened in a in a Tudor building, uh, you know, dated from the 16th century. Uh, it was very much like stepping back in time. Mm. Wow, fascinating! But it was all sorts of silly things happened during it, which I was fascinated by, because mm -hmm. 
they had this a sort of throne that Charles stood in front of, he didn't sit on, and then a podium where they had to come and do all their sort of strange words and what have you. Um, and then a little table to one side with the two pro- – for some reason there are two copies of the pro- proclamation that have to be signed by Charles and William and various – lots of other people who are actually at the ceremony. Witnesses. Um, <clears throat> and so Charles does his speech, speechifying, and then he goes – sits down at this little table. And there are two huge copies of the proclamation side by side, plus an ink well, an ornamental glass inkwell, which is just in front of him on the table. An inkwell being a little pot of ink. Yes, Again, exactly. very very old-fashioned thing because in the, I guess it's for a certain type of pen that you dip into the ink in order exactly. to, to, right. to write. So a very old-fashioned form of writing with an actual ink pot on the table. Yeah. And it's a sort of ceremonial ink pot as well. Yes, it was. It was I, very, I think, very, a very, um, as you say, ceremonial and not just an ordinary ink pot. It was quite big. You know, yeah. there were two of them side by side and this sort of glass or crystal thing. Anyway, he had to sort of he had to try and move the proclamation to such a position so he could sign it easily, and it kind of stuck to the table and he couldn't move it properly. And then he signed, and you could see he was really nervous and unsure of it all. Mm-hmm. And then he had to move this blooming ink pot out of the way so he could sign the second one. <laughs> and all the time, I was thinking, "Don't, Don't spill the ink." Spill the ink. <laughs> I saw that. I saw some footage of that where yeah. he's he's basically he doesn't move the ink pot, or at least he tries to. To, but then he doesn't, and he asks someone else to do it. You're no, going to tell no, me. Oh, tray of pens, isn't no, it? Go on, no, go on, no, Mom, what, go on. What happened was that um, he signed the, the proclamation with this inkwell there and also with the tray of pens, and it was all so crowded. The table, I mean, who set it up? God knows. <laughs> You'd have thought they'd have managed to do it properly, having 70 years to think about it. He didn't have enough space and he was stressed. So He yes. didn't have enough space to do it properly. He was scared he was going to knock the ink well over. And you could see he was getting more stressed. And then after him, lots of other people had to sign it. Uh, but they were able to stand on the other side of the table and turn it all around and, and sign much more easily. And then there was something else that he had to sign. I can't remember what it was now. And that was the point at which he sat down again and he said to the people nearby, take this away, take this away. He did a dismissive gesture with his hand, as, waving his hand as if to say, yeah. please move these things out of the way. Yeah. He didn't say anything, though. He didn't no, say, he didn't. could you move these things out of the way? Because I suppose he couldn't in that moment. Exactly. So he just waved the things out of the way and looked at whoever it was yeah. that was going to do it, and he kind of grimaced at them, yes. right? He kind of like gave this expression yeah. of like, get, please get these things out of the way. I've seen that on Twitter, a lot of people have given him a really hard time. And I think it's, I mean, I'm no excuser for Prince Charles, but I think they've, they've been very unfair on him because I think whoever set that table up is the one to blame <laughs> because, you know, table. he was stressed and those things were in the way and he just needed them out of the way. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was funny. I mean, even the most brilliantly, spotlessly organised thing like that, you know, something it went didn't wrong. go wrong. It didn't, didn't go, go wrong, wrong, but it was... And he didn't spill the ink. No, but it wasn't... he did sign it, but it wasn't exactly comfortable. Because no. That, that's small. such an important moment in, yes, in, in the whole process. Uh, little details like that suddenly become hugely significant. Yeah. And if the very beginning of his time as king had been marked by him spilling a bunch of ink <laughs> all over the proclamation, exactly. that would have been, you know, hugely symbolic and maybe even um, hugely unlucky. It would have cursed his entire time <laughs> 
on the throne. And, you know, let's face it, we are dealing with superstitious stuff here. Yes. The whole thing is rooted in a form of superstition, yeah. if you like. So, yeah. yeah, of course, he's going to be stressed and those little details are going to really bother him. Yeah. And, yeah, he didn't want to, yeah, spill the ink. So, yeah, fair play. But I think whoever set up that table needs to be sent to the tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so how is Charles then? How do you think he's going to be as as king then? King Charles well, III. It's very interesting. I'm looking forward to finding out because, as we all know, he's been very opinionated all through his time as Prince of Wales. And he has various causes that he is very, very keen on the most one being the ecology and climate change and all the rest of it. And as you know, with our new government, they are just ripping all that apart. They're planning to start shale drilling and – no, not shale fracking. drilling. Fracking. Fracking. And is, opening yeah. new oil wells and getting rid of the green levy. And I mean – Completely cancelling any plans to, to develop green energy and just reversing years and years and years of um, green energy development uh, and progress in that area. They are climate change deniers. Well, they're not climate change deniers. No? It's just that they think that, that uh, the cost of living crisis is the main thing at the moment. Some of them are climate change deniers. I mean, uh, Rhys Mogg is a climate change denier. Oh, well, yeah. Some of them are. Some of them are climate change deniers. They are right wing, very right wing, and uh, n nothing must get in the way of uh, economic recovery. But the stupid thing is that all these things they're planning to do won't make any difference anyway for all sorts of complicated reasons. But anyway, Charles has said that he will uphold the Constitution, do everything in his power to you know, keep it strong and all the rest of it, which means presumably that he won't cause any problems. Um, I mean, which kind of disappoints me because um, he feels so strongly about these things. You mean to say that he's just going to swallow everything that he believes and sign a bill to say, yes, they can frack and they can drill oil and they can do this, that and the other. When you say uphold the constitution, what you mean is he won't say anything, he won't cause any fuss, he's not going to criticise the government and he's not going to get, stick his oar in and kind of um, try to influence policy making and, and so on. What, what part of the constitution says that the, the monarch is not allowed to, to express their opinion? Well, it's when... A bill is passed in the House of Commons. In order for it to be enacted, it has to be taken to the king and the king has to sign it to say, yes, you can do that. Yeah, the royal assent. Yes, exactly. So, so okay. I mean, I would love it if, if he were to say, no, I'm not signing that. It's crazy. Go back and think about it again. <laughs> so that, that means, though, that the Constitution says that he can say no to some of these things. So when he says, know. I'm going to uphold the Constitution... He, well, the yeah, Constitution yeah. gives him the right to say no to those laws. So, well, you'd have thought so. So when he says, I'm going to uphold the Constitution, what he actually means is I'm not going to get in the way of the government. That's what he means. And, and it was quite interesting that um, he addressed the nation on Friday evening, mm. obviously televised speech from uh, St. James's Palace, oh, I think. I think they can't remember. And um, it was a very interesting address mm. it it made one or two things clear and that was one of them because there's been a lot of you know speculation about how can he possibly you know button his lip as we say when he becomes king and he made it clear even though it's slightly obliquely 
that he would he understood his responsibilities and he would uphold the democratic constitution uh, blah 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 and the commentators people who perhaps have worked with him and know him are all saying being the prince of wales is one thing and being the king is another and that he will not be opinionated and he's had plenty of time to watch his mother who has never expressed her views publicly on any subject really and he knows that that's the way it's got to be so i i think that so far the indications are that he will not express his personal views as king this is interesting because it shows that even the king has to know his place mm. right because yeah. if the king expresses a views that he, we know he has and mm. is passionate about and b views which as we know are actually very reasonable views that should be um, expressed in, uh, in a at a constitutional level when climate change is something that's extremely important for the future of everything yet he can't use his platform to try and promote those sorts of ideas mm. uh, because if he does then it'll put the constitution into uh, question which basically means that that will put the place of the monarch in question which kind of may means that we would start thinking about oh maybe we should get rid of the king mm. if he starts um, expressing his views and things because mm. when people talk about the queen and how wonderful she was and what a brilliant 70 year reign she had one of the things they mean is that she didn't rock the boat mm. and that she didn't get involved in politics Mm. It, and the reason that they think this is good, that she didn't express her views, is because if she had expressed her views, it would have been bad news for the monarchy, which would have been bad news for the status quo, which would have been bad news for the establishment. So, you know, I don't know, actually. I, I kind of wonder if I would like Charles to actually try to uh, force the climate change issue onto the Same agenda at, at the very highest level. What's more important, that we keep things exactly as they are and we let the government just press on with the fossil fuel industry, uh, you know, despite the fact that it's clearly very bad news for the future? Mm. They are democratically elected government, Luke. That's the end of the story, really. Mm. Uh, Again, going back to Charles I and Charles II, that whole period, the reason I mentioned that before is because that is what has basically set the relationship ever since, is that, mm. OK, so we've got Charles I had his head chopped off, the parliamentarians grabbed a lot more power, the power balance was reset, we had... A, a sort of republic for about a generation it didn't really work very well because the leader oliver cromwell was a bastard <laughs> and 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 misunderstood he, misunderstood really really okay maybe i think if you're irish you're entitled to say it was a bastard i would say that yeah i would say so and he wasn't much fun and <laughs> so on and so forth and so the monarchy was re reinstalled. Maybe this is a very basic version of history I'm giving here, but I think it's generally true that um, the monarchy was reinstalled. But they kind of said, "Okay, king, the king can come back. Monarchy's back, but know your place. Mm. Know your yes. place. Don't try and um, push your weight around too much because choppy, choppy, choppy. But it did. The it, head it did. will roll. Look it at France. True that the that it goes back to um, the 17th century." when we had our revolution and the English civil wars 
finished up with Charles I and his supporters, uh, the royalists, defeated. And uh, but they, they, the uh, the parliamentarians uh, wanted uh, to keep him as a king, as a titular head, without any powers, reduced powers. And um, but he wasn't having it. So we had a second round of civil wars, and it was the second time around that they uh, executed him. But it was only eleven. It was a Charles the uh, First. He he wasn't executed after the first major defeat of, uh, of the civil wars. He was allowed to continue as king, but with much reduced powers, and he wasn't prepared to accept that. Uh, he was he he was king by divine right. You know, he was uh, he was God's king. So when they had another round of civil war, uh, and this time they did execute him, but it was only eleven years later that they brought okay. his son back to be Charles II by popular demand, because people widely and the institutions as well as ordinary people wanted uh, a, a king back again, and Charles II did accept that. Parliament uh, was where laws were made, and he was the first, really, of a, a kind of more symbolic king. But he did bid change the atmosphere, as you probably know. The restoration, as it's called, restoration of the monarchy, was after this eleven grim years of of hardline uh, Protestant rule, where there was no fun, <laughs> no music. Um, people were completely fed up with it, and of course, it ushered in. A, a rich period of uh, art and culture and uh, music and, and literature and everything else. So it's a very interesting period, the Charles I, Charles II. Now we've got Charles III. Um, it, 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 he, he does face a lot of very big challenges. I mean, once all this ceremony has gone by, the country faces a, a, a lot of difficulties now. And I think that he will find it quite difficult if Scotland decides it wants to have a referendum for independence because I'm pretty sure well he doesn't want the first thing to be the breakup of the United Kingdom and it's a reality it's quite possible mm -hmm. uh, um, there, there are other things of course that are, are very difficult there is social unrest because of the economic problems and because under this government our health service has been run down into the ground. There are a lot of people lining up with strikes. And so we, we are a turbulent nation at the moment, not at peace with itself. It will be very hard for him to keep his mouth shut, as we said. This is, his, this is kind of like his job. Just don't, don't uh, give your opinion and stay alive. That's kind of the job description, isn't it? I'm afraid it is a little like that. I'm being very glib. I'm sorry. I'm probably being very disrespectful and glib in some people's eyes, but I think I'm just trying to get to the actual substance of what this whole arrangement is. I mean, he's a figurehead and it's long live the king. So that is one of his job descriptions is that he, you know, must stay there in order to be the figurehead and unite the nation and don't give your opinions and uh, say things that are out of place and so on. Mm. Well, he's a, he will support a democratic system. That's what will happen. Um, but the, the the point is that his mother was a very steadying influence. Uh -huh. She didn't make a lot of public pronouncements. She didn't pop up on the TV very often. Yeah. Yep. 
but there were a number of notable occasions where she was a, a calming influence, someone who had seen an awful lot, someone who'd been through World War II, someone who had seen a lot of great difficulties for the nation. And so, for example, in the pandemic, when everybody had to stay at home and you couldn't visit your relatives and everybody was isolated, she addressed the nation and, and said, we shall meet again, uh, which is a, a reference to a famous wartime song, but it was also optimism. So she's, she's always said, we'll get through this, keep calm and carry on is maybe a bit trite, but it's actually true. That's yes. very much the royal position. And I think uh, Charles will attempt to do the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Mm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Maybe I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate by expressing the, th the things that I've just been talking about. But this is one of the reasons why it's going to... This is one of the duties, I suppose, and reasons why it's going to be hard work for Charles is that he has to sort of there's that sense of personal sacrifice mm. where maybe he's got his own personal issues which are important and his personal opinions and things but he has to try to uh, keep them to himself and see the bigger picture and stuff so that's a lot of that's personal sacrifice which is part of the duty and the work and the the burden of of being mm. the king there's one other element in this relationship between the monarchy and the government. The prime minister traditionally has an audience with the monarch, normally every week, normally on a Wednesday, uh, unless, you know, one of them's away. And uh, it's amazing, really, but they have stuck to the protocol that n nobody says what goes on in those meetings. And the prime minister's stay stum about what went on and it's stuck like that i mean she's had 15 different prime ministers the queen and uh, there's only one of them who let slip something and that was david cameron who uh, inadvertently may maybe exhibited the fact that she was delighted when the scottish referendum uh, said no we don't want independence um but apart from that one occasion no one has any idea uh, what goes on in those conversations. It might be possible that Charles would indicate uh, he was a little concerned about something to the Prime Minister, but we'll never know. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. How is Charles, do you think, Mum? 
I mean, there have been other pictures going around online showing his swollen hands. Have you seen those pictures? Oh, yes. But he's had hands like that for years. They're horrible, so the, aren't they? Listeners, the, the pictures, if you haven't seen them, show... The certain pictures show Charles with fingers that seem to be swollen. They're like sausages. Look a bit like sausages. It's a little yeah. bit disturbing. Yeah. You say he's, his hands have been like that for a while. Does he have a condition? Not as far as we know. Who knows? We're not, we haven't been told he has, but... Um, Yes, they're most unpleasant, really. It's interesting about hands because that was one thing I noticed about the Queen the last time we saw her, uh, the picture of her greeting Liz Truss. She had her hands on her stick and you could see them quite clearly and they were all purple on the back. Sort of bruised on the back yeah, or something yeah, like that. Which is yes. a dead giveaway, really, that someone's not got long. Yeah. But yes, I don't know what it is with Charles's hands, but they are, um, un you know, they're weird. I read somewhere that they've been like that since he had COVID. Um, that's oh, kind of a, an yeah. after effect, a long-term effect of COVID. Yeah. Or maybe could it could it be arthritis or something like that? No, your hands don't. Your hands usually you have swollen hands like that if you've got um, it's called edema. You know, if you've got fluid retention, and that's you tend to get that if you've got heart condition. Mm -hmm. But I think it's unlikely that he's got a heart condition. He looks perfectly healthy otherwise. Very healthy, in fact, for a 73-year-old. Yeah. I'm looking at him, feeling exhausted, thinking, <laughs> how the heck is he going to do all the stuff he's got to do? At the same, you know, he's exactly the same age as I am. He's going to embark on a, on a tour of Britain. Um, again, it's, it's traditional that, you know, the monarch will appear in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, uh, meeting the people. Uh, so he's going to have to have some energy for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another interesting thing that happened yesterday that the papers are completely full of, there's nothing else on the front pages as far as I can see, involving Harry and Meghan. Have you seen that? No, go on then. Let's have a bit of Harry and Meghan yes. drama then. Well, it was quite interesting that in his address on Friday, Thursday night, um, Charles said that uh, he expressed his love for Harry and Meghan and he hoped that their lives would you know, be good. I have to say, I did actually watch that address. Um, that's, yeah, as you say, the speech that he made to the nation. It's just him sitting at the desk in the same way that the Queen used to do, um, a bit like one of her Christmas Day speeches or mm -hmm. something. And um, it was good, actually, I thought, yeah. uh, and and emotional, too. Yeah. You could clearly, you could see that he was welling up. The tears were welling up in his eyes, and he was clearly getting very emotional. But he, he kept his... Um, What's the word for it? He kind of kept control of himself yeah. and delivered the speech. Was it was it live? No, it no, wasn't. it wouldn't it be wasn't. live. So no. it was a recorded speech, and uh, so he managed to keep himself together. And he did this speech, and he, um, yeah, he mentioned members of his family, obviously his uh, his mother, but also his father Philip. And he got emotional when he talked about Philip, and then he talked about William and Kate and Harry and Meghan. And that's right. And he he told yeah. everyone how much he loved. Uh, both couples, but mum. And, and well, that's one really interesting difference between him and the Queen. She would never have spoken in those sort of terms. Don't think she ever used the word love about anybody in her speeches. He's much more touch. And when he did his walkabout, when he came back from Scotland on the Thursday afternoon after the announcement had been made, 
he came down from Balmoral to um, Buckingham Palace and his car, he stopped his car at the gates. He didn't go straight in and he got out of his car and he went round greeting all the, <clears throat> a lot of the people who were waiting there outside the gates. And one woman actually put her arms around him and kissed him, uh, which was, it doesn't sound like much these days because people are always doing that sort of thing. But for a royal, that's extraordinary. Um, and for the king to allow that to happen is very unusual. And he, you know, the, the queen is, was always very, she was always very nice, polite, and she spoke to people, but she always kept her distance. She was always very, you know, you wouldn't dream of hugging the queen, but he is open to hugs. I remember once the Queen was in Australia and the Australian Prime Minister put his arm around her. Oh, yeah. And it oh. made the news and everything. Yeah. It was like a big scandal. He, he touched, touched the, the Queen. queen. <laughs> <laughs> you do not touch the Queen. So Charles is a bit more um, warm, a bit more open with his emotions, a bit more touchy-feely, a bit more human. Um, yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how his public uh, persona or public uh, perception, his image in the public eye is mm. going to change. Yeah. Um, maybe he's going to be great. You know, maybe people are, it's going to change because you know, he's been seen as being a bit, what's the word for it, eccentric and a bit maybe self-indulgent and so on. But maybe he's going to be very successful as as king. The, the issues that he has... Um, you know, espoused over the years may in the past have appeared to be a little bit uh, kind of, um, what should we say, uh, not mainstream, a bit open-toed sandals <laughs> trendy. But Dare we have, say, a bit woke. But, but they have become absolutely mainstream now. Mm. I mean, he, all his concern about uh, climate change and the biodiversity crisis is now mainstream issue. And equally, he's he has uh, campaigned for uh, sustainable farming as opposed to intensive farming that uh, doesn't respect uh, the natural world and, and, and so on. And he's also been a, a, a great advocate of programs to help young people. These things are now taken for granted that that's what governments sh should be using as their, their backdrop. So it's particularly difficult for him because we are in the grip of a very right-wing government at the moment. Um, I personally don't think that they will be here in two years' time, but we'll wait and see. So when's the? if we just talk about politics a little bit, just before we finish. Um, so Liz Truss became Prime Minister. As you said, she, she was chosen by members of the Conservative Party. So there was no actual election for general members of the public. It was just about 100,000 people, uh, 100,000 Conservative Party members who chose her out of two candidates. And for some reason, the leadership um, contest was put on TV every day with debates and stuff. I don't know why they did that. That was um, an odd move. Yeah. Um, a bit sickening when, like, the vast majority of the public had no say over which person was actually going to be chosen to be the leader. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we've got Liz Truss, who... Yeah, no one actually vote. Well, hardly anyone actually voted for. Um, She's and not what you would call impressive. No. In my opinion. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she seems to me to be an empty vessel, and I think that she is under the control of the ERG, uh, which is the extreme right wing group of the Conservative Party, the European Research Group. God knows why they're called that, but they are the extreme right wing. 
and um, she will do whatever they say. Mm-hmm. Full stop. The power behind Brexit is the ERG, and uh, she has appointed a lot of hard right people to her cabinet. Most of whom come from the ERG, yeah. or a vast majority of them do. Basically, the the UK has got a cost of living crisis, which basically means that the the cost of energy is incredibly high. This is because of what? Because of the war? Yeah. Yeah. So Partly. because. Partly. Because Russia has raised its energy prices because the UK um, relies on Russian energy. It's the market, Luke. It's the market. We don't here yeah. in the UK rely an awful lot on, on Russian gas. But the market price simply shoots up because they cut off the supplies. There is you know, a mad scramble to get alternative supplies mm-hmm. and the price shoots up. Okay. Uh, so uh, it affects everybody. And, of course... That's the main issue at the moment, but there are other issues which are com- which are connected or connected. But the energy, the fact that the cost of energy is, has gone up so much in plenty of other countries, the government has kind of stepped in and capped people's energy bills, which is basically where I guess the state steps in and makes sure that people's energy bills don't get so high that people can't afford to heat their homes and so mm. on. Mm. Right, that's what's going on in France. Mm. And that partly is because in France they've got a lot of their own uh, nuclear power stations and they can provide national, you know, the, the, the energy companies are nationalised and stuff. Yes. Whereas in the UK the energy companies are privatised. And they're all and making huge profits. So the energy companies, it, it, and this is supported by the government, the energy companies... It seems the priority of this government is to make sure that the energy companies can still make all of their profits and that the shareholders and directors can make all of their money and that the you know the managers of the companies get their huge bonuses. Meanwhile, it's the customers who actually have to foot the bill, as it mm. were. So all, all the inflation of costs gets transferred to the actual end users, the customers, and many of whom just don't have enough money to pay for... Bills which have increased how much? How much are people's energy bills going up? Quadrupling is what's likely to happen next month in October. Four times times higher. So if someone's energy bill was £2,000, it could go up to £8,000. I've seen higher increases than that. Well, um, £2,000, those are sort of average um, amounts. A lot of people will have to pay more than that. Obviously, okay. depending on how much they use and the size of their house and all that kind of thing. We're waiting to hear for what Liz Truss is going to do. There, there is no doubt that they will, government will uh, cap prices in some way. Uh, no one knows how they'd pay for it because um, they won't put up taxes uh, to do it. So it looks like it'll be more borrowing, which is this mysterious method of raising money by issuing bonds that people buy and then you have to pay interest to to them and um uh the the, the fact is it could be a penalty on our economy and growth for generations to come so we're waiting to see what the wonderful risk trust is going to come up with but we have just heard that she is going to go with the king on his tour around the regions why? Quite. That's what we're all saying. It's about him. It's not about her. As if she hasn't got anything better to do. 
what that is is a basic rule of advertising, which is where if you want your product to be associated with something, for example, if you sell watches and you want people to think your watch is very high quality and uh, made of amazing technology, in your advert, what you do is you have a picture of a fighter jet and next to it you put your watch mm. and then people put the two and two together and they think that your mm. watch is like a fighter jet, yeah. which means it's very expensive and <laughs> works really, really well and high technology. The same thing, they're putting Liz Truss on this tour with Charles so yeah. that, that people put the two and two together and yeah. that she comes out some of it rubs off on her that's why they're doing that i mean does she need to does she need to like hold his coffee or something why Uh, i i wait to see the details luke i find it very very difficult to believe that the royals would allow her to be actually you know with him she's Uh, supposed to be in downing street having meetings absolutely trying to trying to solve the energy crisis not going on some some jolly tour of the country so, yeah, mm. that's what we've heard, but it, I suppose it might change. Who knows? This government's always announcing that they're going to do something and then five minutes later saying, oh, actually, all right, we won't do that. So who knows? Is there going to be a, a general election soon? Uh, do, you want, do you want all the different scenarios? Of course we don't know that. It all depends on the opinion polls, Luke, reliable opinion polls. At the moment, the Conservatives are behind Labour in the opinion polls and Liz Truss's personal rating is low. If there is a bounce on the back of the death of the Queen and everything else, uh, it would have to be quite a big bounce for her to suddenly call an election. She would say, I need a popular mandate. People haven't voted for me, so I need my mandate from people. But you'd only do it if she was confident she would win. And I think that she will she will not be confident she would win. Therefore, I don't see a, a, an election coming anytime soon. But... The second scenario is that if she stays well behind in the polls, the party will dump her with about nine months to go before the election is due. And then they'll bring Boris Johnson back. Quite possibly. Yeah, they will, won't they? Um, Yeah, so her going on tour with Prince Charles is a a desperate attempt to raise her popularity rating. If that's what happens, that's what it'll be. If that's what happens, let's see. And if, if if her popularity goes up so much... And if the Tories go up in the polls, they'll be like, right, general election now. Mm-hmm. Meaning, OK, everyone seems to like us right now. Let them vote for <laughs> us now. And if not, as you say, if not, they'll, they'll, they'll get rid of her, press the ejector seat button. She'll be off and they'll reinstall Boris Johnson as the plan B and then let him kind of go and all that stuff that he does. And then people are like, great, Boris is back. Let's vote for him. And they're like, hit the election button now. And then they'll have the election then. So it has to be sometime in the next year and a half, though. Yeah. Doesn't it? But they can yeah. choose when they call it. So they're yeah. going to the Tories are going to call the election whenever they think they've got the best chance of winning it. Okay, so we'll just have to see what the popularity of the Tories is like over mm-hmm. the next eighteen months. And it's hard to imagine that they could ever be popular after the way they've been over the well over the last twelve years, but particularly over the last three or four. Anyway, enough. We have we have yeah. strayed strayed yeah, we into politics. Strayed. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we've rambled on, Luke. Um, I hope uh, it hasn't been too rambly. No, it's all right. Um, last thing then about the Queen. I mean, do, do you? How do you feel? Do you feel a sort of sense of somber, sober grief? It's funny, really, because when as when our friend texted us saying, "What about? So what about Brenda?" And we started looking at it. You know, it was quite 
interesting and almost exciting, you know, having this big news story to follow and all this stuff about all the family coming to Balmoral and so on, and it was pretty obvious what was going to happen. And then when Rick, I was, wasn't in the room at the time, he was looking on his computer and he shouted to me, she's died. Mm. And I went into the room and I suddenly felt all, you know, tearful and it's really weird. Yeah. Really weird. Yeah. So, you know. It's, big, it's because, you know, it, it's a, such an end of an era. It really is. And she she got... She got married in the year I was born, and and um, you know she she was uh, queen in her early twenties. We've always in, known in, her in nineteen fifty-two. Yeah, we've always known her to be there. Um, and you know, there she was. I sort of I met her once, but I didn't. Not not you much. You met her. Well, I was at university. The, there was a gathering of the college student presidents uh, as part of some kind of event and I was in this, this little crowd and she passed by. I, I can't remember much about it except the fact I, I was surprised how short she was and uh, I noticed her fantastic smile that she flashed. Uh, you know, she, she really did uh, have a warm smile. Yes, I, I didn't can't say I met her, but I did see her once in Solihull when she came to open the Touchwood shopping centre. She came to open a shopping centre, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I um, I didn't know she was coming and I'd gone into Solihull for something. I couldn't understand what all these people were doing standing around and all these security-type people everywhere. And then I wanted to get out of the shopping centre and they wouldn't let me out. All these security, They said, no, you know, you. I said, what's going on? The Queen's coming to open the centre. So I was stuck by the doors waiting to get out as soon as I could. And they just happened to be the doors that the Queen was coming through. Wow. So, <laughs> the Queen and Prince Philip. So she, there she was all of a sudden right in front of me. And I just crossed my arms in front of me and frowned at her. <laughs> oh. You scowled. You scowled at her as if to say what? I what did. was the point? What was your point of, for scowling at well, her? Well, I to said s- because I, I'm late. I'm, yes, I, I was, you know, I was a non-royalist and I thought, you know, why do I have to bow and scrape to this woman? I need to get home and they won't let me out. Anyway, I crossed my arms. She made as though she was going to come towards me. <laughs> but when she saw me with my crossed arms, she went on somewhere. But I have to say, I was impressed at just how pretty she looked, really. But she is. She was absolutely tiny and quite pretty. But I did notice that her dress that she was wearing, it was obviously a handmade, you know, tailored dress, but the, the hem was terrible. It was all wobbly. <laughs> what, you mean the way that the, it had been made? The way it had been, the way it had been sewn it, up, the, the, the stitching, hem. The stitching of the hem <laughs> yeah. of her dress was not perfect. Not very good. A bit like the way my hems looked when I used to make things. Interesting the way you notice these details, though, isn't it? It's like little details yes. like that when you meet someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's a yeah an odd feeling. Um, we didn't know her personally, mm. but she was like just this feature of our lives, yeah. this sort of almost seemingly permanent feature. So it's yeah. very strange yeah. when that's just gone and a person is it gone. Is. It's, you know, it's hard to come to terms with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks both of you for talking to me about all of this and talking to my audience. Um, I hope everyone has appreciated Fine. your your contribution to the podcast today. Well, it's an interesting time, so I hope people have enjoyed it. 
Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. The podcast, I mean, not the death of the Queen. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, exactly. Well, you never uh, know. I think some yeah. people out there probably did enjoy getting that news. Yeah, yeah. you know, Republicans know. or certain other... Oh, whether you're a Republican or not, there's no excuse for cheering at the death of someone. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Mm. OK, well, thanks, thanks, both of you. I'll let you go now and have your lunch uh, quite late. Yeah. OK. Okay, and you've got to go and prepare for your meeting. I do, yes. Okay. 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 Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. So that was the Rick and Jill Thompson report. I hope you found that interesting and useful. Thanks again to both my parents for their contribution. Overall, talking about the response of the country to the death of the Queen, I did sort of make some predictions about this. In other episodes in the past, I think I talked about what would happen if the Queen died in that episode I did with my wife about The Crown, the TV series, the Netflix show, which, by the way, has been, I think, the number one show on Netflix over the weekend. And, you know, of course, everyone's been watching The Crown. But I talked about The Crown with my wife in an episode um, a couple of years ago maybe a year and a half ago, maybe during lockdown when we were watching The Crown. I don't know. Anyway, I did an episode with her and I did talk about what would happen in the country if slash when the Queen dies. And I talked about that a little bit with James when we did our episode about the Queen's Jubilee recently. And I sort of made predictions saying that the country would kind of grind to a halt, that everything would stop. I think overall, the effect on the country of the Queen's death has not been quite as profound as I predicted in previous episodes. I think I said that I thought the entire country would basically stop and that everything would be cancelled. Of course, it means different things to different people, and a lot of people will be very affected by this. But as far as I can tell, to a large extent, things are pretty much carrying on as normal this week except that the story is definitely dominating the news on TV. Over the weekend, it was pretty much around-the-clock coverage of everything relating to the event and, you know, the, the, the other events. As my dad said, you know, he said there's been lots of stuff to report on. And um, we've all been getting lots of notifications on our phones of news stories about it, just lots of content being published all about it. But people, I think, are largely getting on with normal life and work and people aren't mentioning it really in their work emails and everything, as far as I can tell. Anyway, that's just how I see it from my position. In situations like this in the UK, generally people do people do get affected and people people's routines change and when extraordinary things like this happen everyone does stop and watches the tv coverage and stuff but then to a large extent people will keep calm and carry on and i suppose ultimately it's not like it's it's not like it's really affected day-to-day life that profoundly it's more of a sort of um a sense that history it's more of the a sense of a historical moment has has occurred. Obviously, some people will be very moved by it. But anyway, to end the episode here, I thought I would play you the audio from King Charles's video message to the nation, uh, 
which was published by Buckingham Palace on Friday, the day after it was announced that the Queen had died. Okay, so this is the audio from the King's uh, video address to the nation when he talked to the nation. Now, I was going to play just the second half of this, about three and a half minutes, where he gives his promise to uphold his constitutional duty and then describes the new roles and duties of the other members of the family. I was going to play just that part, but in fact, I've decided just to play you the whole thing. So actually, this is this is about nine minutes of King Charles III addressing the nation, expressing grief at the passing of the Queen, and then promising to fulfil his duties as the King, and also outlining some of the changes uh, which have... Um, been made to the duties of other members of the family. Okay, so I'm just going to play the whole thing. And this is a chance for you to listen to Charles's statement, but also to notice how he does it. So pay attention to his accent, his choice of words and structures, the way that he delivers it all, and also the more emotional and personal tone which he uses, especially nearer the end of the message. I'll also put this video on the page for this episode on my website, and you can activate subtitles on that, by the way. So this is King Charles III addressing the nation in a recorded message published on Friday the 9th of September, the day after the Queen died. Okay, so let me play that for you right now. I speak to you today with feelings of profound sorrow. Throughout her life, Her Majesty the Queen my beloved mother, was an inspiration, an example to me and to all my family. And we owe her the most heartfelt debt any family could owe to their mother for her love, affection, guidance, understanding and example. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to you all today. Alongside the personal grief that all my family are feeling, we also share with so many of you in the United Kingdom, in all the countries where the Queen was head of state, in the Commonwealth and across the world, a deep sense of gratitude for the more than 70 years in which my mother, as Queen, served the people of so many nations. In 1947, on her 21st birthday, she pledged in a broadcast from Cape Town to the Commonwealth to devote her life, whether it be short or long, to the service of her peoples. That was more than a promise. It was a profound personal commitment which defined her whole life. She made sacrifices for duty. Her dedication and devotion as sovereign never wavered through times of change and progress, through times of joy and celebration, and through times of sadness and loss. In her life of service, we saw that abiding love of tradition, 
together with that fearless embrace of progress, which makes us great as nations. The affection, admiration, and respect she inspired became the hallmark of her reign. And as every member of my family can testify, she combined these qualities with warmth, humor, and an unerring ability always to see the best in people. I pay tribute to my mother's memory and I honor her life of service. I know that her death brings great sadness to so many of you, and I share that sense of loss beyond measure with you all. When the Queen came to the throne, Britain and the world were still coping with the privations and aftermath of the Second World War and still living by the conventions of earlier times. In the course of the last 70 years, we have seen our society become one of many cultures and many faiths. The institutions of the state have changed in turn. But through all changes and challenges, our nation and the wider family of realms of whose talents, traditions, and achievements I am so inexpressibly proud have prospered and flourished. Our values have remained and must remain constant. The role and the duties of monarchy also remain, as does the sovereign's particular relationship and responsibility towards the Church of England, the church in which my own faith is so deeply rooted. In that faith and the values it inspires, I have been brought up to cherish a sense of duty to others and to hold in the greatest respect the precious traditions freedoms and responsibilities of our unique history and our system of parliamentary government. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom or in the realms and territories across the world, and whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love as I have throughout my life. My life will of course change as I take up my new responsibilities. It will no longer be possible for me to give so much of my time and energies to the charities and issues for which I care so deeply. But I know this important work will go on in the trusted hands of others. This is also a time of change for my family. I count on the loving help of my darling wife, Camilla, in recognition of her own loyal public service since our marriage 17 years ago, 
She becomes my queen consort. I know she will bring to the demands of her new role the steadfast devotion to duty on which I have come to rely so much. As my heir, William now assumes the Scottish titles which have meant so much to me. He succeeds me as Duke of Cornwall and takes on the responsibilities for the Duchy of Cornwall, which I have undertaken for more than five decades. Today, I am proud to create him Prince of Wales, Tewusog Cymru, the country whose title I've been so greatly privileged to bear during so much of my life and duty. With Catherine beside him, our new Prince and Princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the centre ground where vital help can be given. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. In a little over a week's time, we will come together as a nation, as a commonwealth, and indeed a global community, to lay my beloved mother to rest. In our sorrow, let us remember and draw strength from the light of her example. On behalf of all my family, I can only offer the most sincere and heartfelt thanks for your condolences and support. They mean more to me than I can ever possibly express. And to my darling Mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late Papa, I want simply to say this, thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Okay. I don't know if you could hear, but the tears were welling up in his eyes, especially at the end there where he talked about his, his mother and father. Now, what's next for the podcast? If it's appropriate for me to start talking about that now. I think I won't publish more episodes about about this, this topic now f- for a while, um, unless I manage to record interviews with people in London when I'm there at the weekend because I will be in London at the weekend for a podcast festival, not for um, not for the Queen's funeral or to uh, go and see the Queen laying in state. Um, but no, I'm, uh, there's a podcast festival and I've been asked to take part. So I will be in London at the weekend. I might interview some people while I'm there, but I don't know. Uh, I'll see. I might do, might not. So if I do interview some people in London, I might publish those, those recordings. But otherwise... I think this will probably be it for the time being. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to do too much on this subject. Probably these two episodes are enough. So the official period of national mourning 
lasts until the Queen's funeral, which is on the 19th of September. I think I will wait until then, until probably Tuesday the 20th, before publishing any more content. That's about a week away from now anyway, so it's the usual period between episodes of the podcast. So there you go. I will speak to you again in about a week. And then about my choice for what to publish next, I think that I don't need to be too precious about it. And I reckon that I will probably publish those two episodes that I did with James in August with a little disclaimer at the start telling people that that the, the episodes were recorded before the Queen passed away and any references to her were not meant to be disrespectful. And I hope that people don't take offence or consider the general tone of the episode to be disrespectful at all. Um, apparently the Queen had a good sense of humour anyway, so there you go. All right then. So thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you to my parents for their contribution again this time. Listeners, do take care in podcast land. And I will speak to you again in about a week. Okay. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.